Let's continue to worship with a reading from Psalm 51, verses 10 through 17. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. This is the word of the Lord. You welcome to church. Before you're seated. Welcome. Good morning. How are y'all? Glad you made it to church today. I'm Chris, one of the pastors here. Uh, before we get cranked, um, as some of you know, during the season of Lent, uh, we're meeting every Sunday night uh, at this church and praying for this church and for this community. And if you're here today, um, and if you have uh, burdens in your life, um, areas of pain, uh, areas of frustration, uh, and, and if, if having some people pray for you, knowing that there are people praying for you, uh, is a powerful thing. I want to encourage you, scan this code. You can submit prayer requests. You can keep it anonymous if you want. But I would love to lead our people in praying for the real concerns and anxieties that are going on in your heart and life. So there's a QR code here. There's going to be a couple in the cafe. Um, let us know. We would love to just get behind you and underneath you and start praying for you for like the real stuff that's going on in your heart and life. So I just want to make you aware that that's going on. Okay, so you caught us uh, in a a season of the church called Lent. Uh, We are a charismatic church who nevertheless sees value in the historical church calendar insofar that it calls us to reflect on the truths of the gospel in a routine way. Um, And in this season, especially truths that we would gladly omit, right? Uh, let me just tell you about Lent, okay? Lent is traditionally, it started on Ash Wednesday. You know that one? It's where you go to the church. We don't do this. A lot of churches do this. You go to the church on Wednesday, Ash, Ash Wednesday service, and they, they smudge ash on your forehead. Did anyone see anyone the last couple of weeks? You see someone at the grocery store, and you're like, you got, you got something on your face. I have a story about this guy. This lady comes in, and he's working at Macy's or something like that, and he's like, hey, ma'am, you got some on your, and she said, it's Lent. And he said, no, I think it's more like ash. Uh, it's weird. You know what they say? Uh, you know what they say when they smudge ash on your forehead? From dust you've come, and to dust you will return. Wonderful. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, Lent, Lent reminds us of our mortality. It calls us to repentance, to fasting, everyone's favorite practice in Christianity. It calls us to lament what sin has done in the world, what it's done to me, what it's done to you. It reminds us of truths that we'd rather forget. So when we started first, when we first started doing this thing, we joked that the tag, you know, every good sermon has a, every good series is tagline. You know, ours right now is from the wilderness to the garden. You see it? We joked when we started like that it should be Lent. Is it over yet? Because... It's just reminding us of things that we'd rather forget, y'all. And we have to stop and ask, like, why? Why? What, 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 what's so uncomfortable, of, we know, about acknowledging your mortality and your sin? Like, what do we, death is real. 
Your sin is real. <laughs> Repentance, a very real need for everyone to enter into life. But man, do we hate it. And so, I mean, I love you. But for that reason alone, I'm like, oh, no, no, we're doing Lent this year. Right? No, because we would just rather brush these things under the rug. And if we can't, guys, if the church is not the place where we can come together and talk about the realities of our life, where is it? Where can we go? When we're dying, when our marriages are on this last thread, when we're addicted to alcohol or porn or whatever it is, and we come to church and everyone's plastic and fine, that's the call of the church to act like everything's fine. You're fine. I'm praise the Lord. And we come into a place like this and we think, I can't be honest about my life. And you saw you, every year, y'all, Lent is this beautiful out for you to be like, yeah, you know what? Like, I'm still messed up. And pastor gave me permission to acknowledge it. And let me tell you something, acknowledging your messed upness for many of you is the door to life. Amen. Bro, it's step one. And so many Christians are stuck, like stuck, like plateaued, stuck because they forgot step one. And they thought step one was just, that was it and I never do it again. Y'all, repentance and confession, ongoing ethic of the Christian life. Never do I get through a day <laughs> and not need to repent. Never. I don't have any on the docket, y'all, none. I got no 24-hour cycles where I've not got to the end of it and said, Lord, forgive me. So maybe you, maybe you're like, wow, you're a sinner. I mean, I, come take the mic, bro. Take the mic. Here, it's yours. All right? But I've never gone through a 24-hour cycle where I've not had the need to repent of some ignorance, some, some arrogance, whatever, and confess to someone. I know some of you are like, this is not the kind of Christianity I signed up for. Well, it's the kind of Christianity that's in the book. So you can choose cultural Christianity or you can choose for the, I got to get back on the notes because we got to go. All right. So we said we can't choose. We can't just pick and choose what we like in the Bible, y'all. Many Christians, many pastors are guilty of it. We pick and choose. So let's, let's consider it. Let's let the, let y'all, let's let the historical collective wisdom of the church bear its weight on us from time to time and ask ourselves, have we forgotten things? like repentance and confession? Have we forgotten things like all is not well in the earth? And maybe we've forgotten things like all is not well in my own heart, right? Have we forgotten things like, you know what? If I'm gonna be a person of flourishing and health, I need rails to run on. I need a rule of life that at times I will not wanna to submit to. Have we forgotten things like this? Inevitably, every time Lent comes around, it calls us to reflect on the state of our character. You see, who we are, who we are, our maturity. As Christians, week one, we said, the landscape around us is about to change. Y'all, it's, it's awesome. I love this time of year. Uh, I, in my young age, uh, fall was my favorite time of year because everything dies. I don't know why. Now that I'm a little older, Spring is my favorite time of year. I'm like, oh yeah, good. Everything comes back to life. Phew. Um, everything's about to flourish. Everything's about to, dude, dude, the landscape looks dead now, doesn't it? Give it some time. Have you seen it? Have you seen the hints? Have you seen the trees already? Every, the color, y'all, is about to flood back into the landscape around you. The days are gonna lengthen. The sun is it's gonna be beautiful. I can't wait. And the church has provoked us to ask in this season, okay, this is, we know that the lengthening of days, the lengthening of days causes the earth to flourish, causes nature to flourish. Okay, what makes your soul flourish? 
What brings joy and abundance? What brings that into the landscape of your life? Or to phrase it negatively, you could say it this. This is what Lent causes us to reflect on. What is stopping you from flourishing as a human? I got a question for you. Do you you think, is it only a matter of faith? Like that's it? You You just need to believe more? Well, I mean, definitely, certainly, you probably, right? The question, in my opinion, is does authentic faith actually change how you live or not? You probably definitely need to believe more. But this is what Romans 5 through 7 is getting at. It's what the entire book of James is getting at. Getting at, hey, dude, belief does something in your life, you know? It changed, yes, saved by grace through faith, justified by Christ alone, absolutely. But my, what I'd just like to slide across the table to you is it is impossible to believe that and stay the same. Like, you just can't believe that kind of stuff and stay the same kind of person. Um, or as some pastors have said, there's no salvation without sanctification. Put it this way, um, is God merely interested in getting you to heaven when you die? I mean, that's a big deal. I'm eternity, big deal. But is that all? He seems to be interested, y'all, in the kind of person you are today. Not just where you're going to go, like your character, who you are. Forgiveness, freely given. Grace flows down. Yes, like a river, abundantly poured out. Yes, but character, can that be given? Grace is given freely. Can character be given? Can maturity be given? Like, is he, here's it, put it this way. Is God going to stop you from jumping back in that mud pit? He cleans you off, washes you, sanctifies you. Is he going to like get in your way? No, no, get back in there. I think we'd prefer that. Here's the question though. What if you like the mud pit more than the clean? Is, is that on God to like take responsibility and like make you not jump back in the mud? I think we think that. How on earth then at the end of all time are we held responsible for our deeds if there is not responsibility to be had in the way we live, in the rhythm of life, in the character that we've developed by our, how we've responded to the things? The question, y'all, God, I don't think, this is my just, like, I'm just guessing here. I don't think you're gonna just stumble over good character. And all of a sudden, you're just going to be this mature person. Nah, dude, it's forged in time. It's my suspicion that character can't be given. Or you can say it this way. Are you willing to blame God for the state of your character? Like today, right? We did this whole series a couple, I don't know how long ago it was, called Maturity is Optional. And it's true. (laughs) It's optional. No one is going to force you to mature. The kind of person you are is 100% up to you. Just let that settle in for a second. (laughs) Right? The real question, I think, is what forces are you allowing to form you? Will you allow the grace of God, the love of God, the gospel forgiveness of God? To, will you partner with God in your character and maturation? Will you hold fast to that, right? Or will you lock your heart on lesser things and allow, allow those things to form you? Which brings me to this very lovely sentence that I wanna lay before you uh, when it comes to your character, when it comes to the kind of person you are. Dallas Willard says this, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results you are getting. 
when it comes to the kind of person you are, the landscape of your mind and heart, the internal reality of your life, are you angry all the time? Are you full of lust and bitterness and unforgiveness? Are you routinely frustrated? Are you? Are you routinely impatient? Do you, here we go, do you constantly find yourself putting down others and just belittling others and like you just can't help it every time you get around that person? You're gonna talk bad about that other person, like just constant, right? Is your mind, stay with me, is your mind in a constant state of chaos and negativity? Is it? Well, Dallas Willard would say, your system's perfectly designed to give you the results you are getting. It's actually a phrase developed by Japanese business consultants assessing industry productivity. The plant manager would complain, you know, you guys with me? Plant manager, industry productivity, got me? See the line, production line? The plant manager would come and say, hey, listen, all the axles are breaking right here. Okay, well, instead of blaming outside things, instead of blaming uh, anything going on the outside, they say the place to look for this is, is not outside circumstances. Don't blame uncontrollable things. The place to look is what, you, what are you doing? How are they being made? Because your system is perfectly designed to get you the results you are getting. I saw this Instagram clip the other day, which by the way, I, last week I told you it was thin, so I, forgive me. Um, I saw this Instagram clip and this girl is like, well, I just feel off and I'm sad, no energy. I don't know what's wrong. And anyone see this one? And her friend starts firing off these questions. Anyone seen this? And she, her friend's like, are you getting enough sleep? She says, no. Are you eating healthy? No. Have you exercised today? No. Are you limiting screen time? No. Have you read the Bible? No. Have you prayed today? No. It's like, sometimes we are blind to the most basic, obvious decisions that we are making and how it's forming us. Listen, I love you. I love you guys. Sometimes it's not your spouse's fault. It's not your boss's fault. My car is giving me all kinds of issues. I'd love to blame my attitude on my car this week. It's not your car's fault. It's not even your digestion's fault. It's how you're responding to all those things. Lent <laughs> slides across the table this horrible idea. Maybe I'm the one who needs to change. So you can see why it's not very popular. You can see why we would like, maybe like, let, let's not do this one, right? Now, listen, let me just real quick. I'm not saying all your problems and sufferings are your fault. That's simply not true. You got to balance what I just said with the book of Job, who suffers horribly, the kind of suffering we would never wish on our worst enemy. And it had nothing to do with his own behavior. In fact, according to God, bro was blameless and upright. He suffered simply as one who lives in a world wrecked by sin and death. So for sure, all right, everyone, everyone got me? Okay, let's be sure right here. There are other forces in life that affect you, right? Other people's sins, your family of origin, there's trauma, there's natural disaster, right? We very often suffer in this world because of other people's selfishness and pride. But listen, I believe this with all my heart. No matter what the world's gonna throw at you, no matter what the severity of your suffering, I mean, think about like the Jews in Auschwitz. Auschwitz. Think about like concentration camps, all right? <laughs> you always, always, always have the dignity of choice. No one can ever take that from you. No parent, no government, no totalitarian regime. They can abuse you. They can do violence to your body. They can cage you in a prison. They can even kill you. But until your last breath, you have the freedom to choose how you will respond. It's just true. So I'm inviting you, all I'm doing in this season and inviting you, uh, 
considering all the facts, all the facts of life, the evil without, the evil within, considering the great salvation on offer in Jesus, I'm just saying, how are you going to respond? How will you order your life considering all the facts? What kind of habits and attitudes and lifestyle is responding appropriately to all the facts? And today is an essential practice. It's a perhaps... Um, Today, the practice we're talking about is perhaps the path that we walk on that leads us from the wilderness to the garden because it was Jesus's path. Um, it's a clear practice and lifestyle that he lived, um, and it's clearly required to be a disciple of Jesus. And check it out. I can almost guarantee it is more unpopular than fasting. What on earth could be more unpopular than fasting, you ask? Uh, like, think about all the Christian behaviors. Is there really any more unpopular thing, an ignored thing, than not eating? There is. There is. Uh, we, here we go. We are so unbelievably averse to this practice that we're going to talk about. And maybe not for all the wrong reasons, but instead of telling you right out, I'm going to experiment on you. You ready? Here's the experiment. All right, let me make something real clear right now. I'm the pastor. I'm in charge, okay? What I say goes in this place, and I'm about to lay down a new rule, and if you are not compliant with this rule, you'll be kicked out of here. You're not gonna be invited back. You're out, we're out. There's a rule, there's no, this is unflinchingly rigid rule. Everyone got me? I'm in charge around here. Do not look up. Do not look up. If you look up, <laughs> ben, ben is just looking down. He's just like, okay, maybe not. Maybe not. Okay, fine. Let's, one more thing. If I said, we're going to sing again in here. We're going to sing. And I, and I want everyone in here to raise your hands and worship. We're going to raise our hands. Everyone, we're going to raise our hands. What happens inside of you? The funny thing, this happened the other week at prayer and I, I like, Someone said, let's raise our hands. And I was like, oh, I wonder how people are going to... It was funny watching, you know, because some people are like, yeah, sure. And other people are like, you know, and I'm like, like, you know, what are we talking about? Something deep, deep, deep in our soul. Maybe one of the primary manifestations of, a, of the brokenness of the universe. Uh, and it's this, that we all have a very deep aversion to being told what to do. We are talking about the practice of submission. Submission to God. Submission to others. And da, 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 submission to authority. How many of you want to leave right now? Like how many of you just want to close your Bible and be like, I'm out of here. I'm not into this. I told you it's more unpopular than fasting. Submission is what we're talking about. And let me tell you, it's way more unpopular than fasting. All, some of you are already like submission to who and for what? What are you talking about, right? Are you saying I got to submit to you, pastor? No, I'm not. You're going to see that. Not at all is what I'm going to say today. Uh, I might suggest if you don't know how to submit to earthly authority, uh, how can you submit to heavenly authority? I might suggest that. Um, do you bristle? Let, let's, another picture. All of you are going to be related to this. Do you bristle? You're in the car. You're driving. You know the way. You know darn well how to get there. And she says, go left here. 
what happens inside of you? What, hey, hey, what happens inside of you? Yeah, <laughs> doesn't matter, right? You know, I don't know who has more authority, the GPS or your wife, she said. What, what, if, what if you're driving? Okay, here, this is very late. You're driving and five miles down the road, a car pulls out and your wife goes, hey! <laughs> Anyone that doesn't have anyone? They're like, dude, she's five miles away. Like, I'm fine. I don't need to hit the brakes quite oh, yet. Yeah. Um, how do you respond at its most basic level at submitting to someone else? Dude, at its most basic, isn't it just great? You, it's horrible. Don't tell me what to do. Listen, how about this? Let's like throw in some religious context. Let's say you got a fight going on at work and like your boss is a jerk. He's a jerk. There's no doubt about it. Dude is a jerk. He was a jerk to you. And God speaks through your wife and says, you need to forgive him. Do you have a universe in which God can speak to you through your wife? Do you have a universe in which God can speak to you through your husband, ladies? Submission was the path Jesus walked on. And I dare say it's the path he is inviting you into and it will make for life. Now, I know I got a lot of work in front of me. We're gonna, we're gonna do this. You might think, uh, well, Jesus was God. Who did he submit to? Oh, dude, you could say the culminating prayer of his ministry was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what it was? Not my will, but yours be done. Let's read it. Look, Luke 22, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but yours, your will be done. Y'all, in the mystery of the Trinity, we see Jesus submitting to the Father, like full, total, complete surrender of his will. Notice Jesus makes his desires known. I don't want this. I don't want it. Remove it, take it away. But I will submit to you, not my will, but yours. Philippians 2, 8 would say Jesus was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. He submitted even to the point of death. Y'all, there may be no deeper comprehensive form of submission than the kind that we see in Jesus. Jesus actually, actually said everything he did, everything was not his choice. Do you know this? Jesus said his entire life was marked by this one thing, submission to the Father at every turn. Look, so Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. Only what he sees the Father doing for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Jesus, Jesus himself characterized his entire life as full, constant, attentive, what? Submission. Oh, doesn't it just grade against you? Oh, what? And not only submission, but he's saying it's attentiveness to what God is doing. Present active. You see that? Not just what he's done, what he's doing right now. Look at the language. The son does nothing of his own accord. That word nothing in the Greek, guess what that means? Nothing. <laughs> now, what's interesting is the word accord, the word accord um, actually means of himself. So the literal translation would say something like the son can do nothing of himself unless he sees the father doing it. My point here is Jesus' entire life was marked by this habit of continual submission to the authority of the father. What would your life look like? 
if you only did what you saw the Father doing? Which brings up so many questions, I totally get it. First and foremost, do you see God doing anything at all around you? Like, do you even see God doing things? Or, or do all you see is darkness and gloom? Like, here, is God at work? Is God at work? Is he, Jesus said to those who have eyes to see, ears to hear, even if you don't have eyes to see what God is doing in our midst today, you can read the Bible, can't you? Yeah, and here's the thing, he's doing today what he has always been doing, most clearly seen in the ministry of Jesus. So uh, we have submission of Jesus to the Father. You guys got it? We also have the example of the church, and this is where it gets really uncomfortable. We have the earliest followers of Jesus showing us what submission looked like. <clears throat> yes, it was submission to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. James 4, 7. You know that one? Yes, it was that. But here's where we get really uncomfortable. It was also submission to authority. And that's the thing that's like a cheese grater on our forehead for most of us, right? Right? Uh, we see Jesus paying taxes. You see, remember that? He says, render to Caesar what's Caesar's, to God's what's God's. So there's Jesus' example, right? But we see Paul standing up to authorities in the book of Acts, right? Even confronting them and also honoring them. Dude, I'm going to try to thread this needle. Acts 23, the high priest had, um, uh, had Paul punched in the mouth. He was like, punch that dude in the mouth. That's what it says. He, so the guy strikes him in the mouth. And Paul answers back, God will strike you, you whitewashed tomb, which is like, don't you want, I want to, I'm saving that for something. <laughs> and, and then, and then they say, whoa, whoa, bro, that's the high priest you just talked to. And then Paul says this, I did not know brothers that he was the high priest for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Acts 23 verse five. First Peter is even more direct. Be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be the, be the emperor as supreme, whoa, or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Any questions? Yeah, I got some. <laughs> I got some. What if the government are no good, corrupt sleazeballs? What if the government is dirty liars? Then we don't need to submit to them. Okay, well, let's take it further, all right? What if those in authority are marginalizing Christians, Chris? They're taking away Christian rights. Then we don't need to submit to them. Actually, you've not gone for, far enough. We're nowhere near the government that Peter was dealing with. Y'all, he was under a government in which the guy called himself divine. Supreme Emperor, Caesar was Lord. What if the president calls himself God? Then we don't have to submit to him. I don't know, bro, I don't know what to tell you. Read 1 Peter 2, because that was the context. We want, oh, it's just bread in this. We're gonna delegitimize any authority at any cost, and we will gladly use our faith to do it. <laughs> Welcome to church. Okay. But what we see is the early church clearly saying submission is an expression of my faith. Submission is something, is the pathway in which I walk discipleship. Now, this does not mean they were pushovers, all right? Remember, they were accused of turning the world upside down. I don't think a pushover can turn the world upside down. They were radically subversive and also submissive. In other words, my dear friend, you may not say, well, I submit to God and therefore I do not have to submit to others. You may not say that. You do see 
nonviolent, civil disobedience in the New Testament. You do. But in Acts 5, 29, which is the verse everyone wants to bring up to me right now, okay? Peter says this, we must obey God and not men. Do you know the context of that verse? They, they had just told them to stop preaching the gospel. So I'll give you full permission. Someone tells you this. I mean, I don't, is anyone going to tell you to stop preaching the gospel in your life? I don't know. But if they do, you cannot obey him. You can say, I'm going to obey God, not men. In other words, when authority comes in conflict with obedience to loving others, that's why we preach the gospel, not to get converts, to love others. When authority comes in conflict with obedience to God and loving others, we see them disobeying with respect, right? And that's, that we got we to gotta get that. But y'all, listen, Acts 5.29 is not a free-for-all I don't have to do anything anyone tells me, like so many Christians have conveniently tried to interpret it as. I love you, I love you. I'm trying to be honest with you. There is a charismatic theology that can breed a certain kind of Christian who fortifies their resistance to authority with a brand of theology that says, I have the red phone to heaven. And play, stay with me, I'm trying to help you and play the God told me so card, not as an authentic act of submission to God's will, but rather an attempt to manipulate people. We tracking? There's a brand of theology in which many immature Christians have just fortified this attitude of you can't tell me what to do. And I'm telling you, if you've ever used the God told me so card as an act of manipulation, you need to repent right now. God has things to say about false prophets. In the Old Testament, you know how they dealt with that with a bucket of rocks. They said, go ahead, tell us the word of the Lord. And there is a type of theology, y'all, that can play fast and loose with this God told me so stuff. And it leaves a wake of wreckage. Some of you in this room have felt it. You felt the pain of some immature, charismatic person saying, God told me, dude, listen, I, I watched a poor... I watched a guy, his life was ruined. Bro's life was, dude, he's like, because he went on this mission trip and these guys said, God told us you're supposed to marry this woman you just met, and he did. And dude left a wake of carnage. Like he, his, he, the dude has never recovered from the kind of manipulation and false authority that we see that happens in the church. That was not in my notes, sorry, but let's keep going. Listen, I believe God speaks with all my heart. I believe it with all my heart. I believe God leads you. I believe he speaks to you. Can I tell you the biblical precedent for hearing the voice of God? I'm gonna tell you the biblical precedent for hearing the voice of God. You know the way God speaks nine times out of 10? Through another person. Well, what about the Bible? Well, who wrote the Bible? God, yeah, through people. And in the Bible, God almost always chooses to lead his people through another person. Moses, Joshua, Esther, David, Peter, Paul, God chooses to lead us through others. Even in the New Testament, Acts 15, they say it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, discerning the voice of God and leadership of God is done in community. It's in community. You know, you, well, you know what you don't see much of in the New Testament? Thus saith the Lord. You know what you do see in the New Testament? It seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. 
Let's fast and pray and discern the voice of God together. In other words, we believe God speaks. And you know how we talk about it? We say, hey, I think God may be saying this. What do you think? What do you think? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think, I think God's leading in this way. Discern with me, pray with me. That is the example of, the, of New Testament authority when it comes to hearing the voice of God. Now, let me be clear. Okay, I'm not about to take a vote on something, all right? You guys are like, he's just buttering us up because he's gonna say, we're gonna do this. No, it's not, we're gonna, no. listen, I have, I have no other agenda than to help you grow in maturity and flourish as a disciple of Jesus, all right? I don't even get my way around here, all right? We have elders that vote on things. I lose votes all the time because we don't play that game. We don't play the, well, Chris has the red phone. We don't play that game. We vote on things and we come collectively to decisions. I'm trying to lead you in an area of discipleship that I myself am subject to as well. And I'm telling you, we hate it. We hate it. We hate submitting to other people. And listen, as me, as an immature, young, passionate follower of Jesus, I had all the problems with authority. All the problems. I was a little self-righteous jerk, right? I was a punk. I would come into churches. I'd sit in the back. I'd have to do this wrong and all this, right? And can I just, let me just level with you. Some of you are like, that's what I'm doing in your sermon. Let me just, let me just, <laughs> let me level with you, okay? My inability to submit to others, especially like authentic followers of Jesus, was a sign of my immaturity, not of my maturity. See, you think you walk into a church and you think, oh, I know everything. I mean, they're doing this wrong and I could be, I could do this better. And you think it's a sign of your maturity. I have, I have news for you. It's a sign of your immaturity. It's a sign of your immaturity. And I'll be honest with you even more. You're like, please don't. Um, it stunted my growth as a person. It arrested my development, to use the TV name, right? Like, it literally, it made me, I'm, a, I'm kind of a late bloomer, like everything, you know, like everything was late for me, you know, I was a late bloomer, right? Like Jesus, Jesus called me to preach about 17 and I'm 40 and just now getting around to it. You know why? Because I couldn't be told what to do. I had a severe problem with authority and it stunted my growth as a person. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. You know, if you think about it, we're, we're gonna get close here. It's really what a three-year-old does, you know? You're not the boss of me, right? Because they can't imagine any other valid perspective to what's going on in their world. Three-year-olds are fully dominated by their own desires and perspectives. Therefore, they can't be told what to do. They can't be told this little word, no. And it's honestly how many Christians live their lives with an inability to submit to authority. So let's chat. Do you have any good reasons not to trust authority? Let me count them. <laughs> as many as there are stars in the sky. Yeah. Uh, just, but, but just let's point out, uh, Peter doesn't tell us to trust authority. He just says submit to it. Okay. And for us, for... for <laughs> For red-blooded Americans, the distrust of authority is like synonymous with patriotism, right? Like, it's li like literally, you're not a good American unless you don't trust authority. We're going to throw some tea in the Boston Harbor, you know? No one treads on me. 
give me liberty or give me li-. We're rebels. We're rebels, y'all. All of us are rebels. This is in our blood, right? Why do you think Star Wars was so popular? It's the rebel alliance. Everyone knows the good guys are the rebels. The bad guys are the guys in control, the authorities, right? Those are always the big brother. They're always the bad guys. Right? Why? Because power corrupts. And it's so true. It's totally true. It always corrupts. I mean, think about when you were put in charge of the schedule at work, look what you did, right? Right? <laughs> and think about all the people, that, all that list I gave you that God used to lead his people. Were any of them perfect? You tell me you couldn't point out why you shouldn't follow David, a killer and an adulteress? You, can't, you tell me you couldn't point out Moses and be like, bro has an anger issue. I'm not going to follow that loser. No, every single one of them. We're stumbling in the darkness towards the light. And yet we find things in scripture like submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Which, by the way, is in the context of marriage, gentlemen. We find things in scripture like this, right? And with Jesus, what was that, Mary? You have just smarting off down there? Got quiet. Got quiet. Okay, right. When, he come, when Jesus comes, y'all, think about it. When Jesus comes with all authority, all authority has been given to the Son. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. What does he do in life? Submits. Did Jesus have rightful authority? He most certainly did, friend. And how, what was the expression of his love towards the world? Submission to his Father. So I just submit to you. Gentlemen, that your expression of love towards your wife may look like submitting from time to time. And this is what I've discovered about myself, generally speaking, wrapping it up. Uh, this is what I know about my mind, my habits, my life, and I'm just going to be straight up honest with you if I've not been honest enough already. Uh, when I get in the car in the morning, like to drive to work, this is, what I've, I've, this is just true about me. Like, here we go. I'm like going, about, going about my like, normal habits and my normal days. If I just let my mind wander free, ends up in bad places. Mike and nose, see? Because full disclosure, this is, I have no clue what I'm doing. Like, not just like pastor, like life. Like, how do you be a parent? I don't know. How do you be a husband? I don't know. I, like, I have, all of you guys, like, we knew that. Like, why is this shut? <laughs> right? Like, even as a I have no clue what I'm doing. I need rails to run on are my life spirals. I need habits in a rule of life. I need y'all to submit to something or my life daggum spirals. And this is why I'm always a little nervous around Christian, leader, Christian people that always focus on leadership. It's all about leading, leading, leading. Like, I, I know, I know, yeah, I, I, I know. That's, but do, do you know what you need to know more as a Christian? You don't need to know how to lead, you know how to follow. I need to know how to follow. I can tell you right now, if I don't know, if, if you don't know how to follow, you don't know how to lead. Like, I love John Maxwell. I love Greg Gauchel and all those guys, but I follow Jesus, not John Maxwell. And the second I stop following Jesus, you should stop following me. It's why Jesus said stuff like, don't call anyone rabbi, because we don't, we don't follow men. He was trying to communicate something about Christian leadership. Don't follow me, follow Jesus, which to me is like, big burden off me, Right? And yet, we still see things in Scripture like submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But here's the reality about submission. Last thought. For every single one of us. Here's the reality about submission for every single one of us. You are already submitting to something. 
The decision today is not, well, am I going to submit? That's not the decision. The decision is what or who are you already submitting to? Thank you. Because we all live lives of submission. Uh, most of us are just submitting to our appetites. And that's the thing that's running our life, right? The way the Bible talks about appetites, it talks about your, your stomach being a God. All of us, the question is not, will you submit? The question is, what are you submitting to? And for most people, it is their stomach. The Bible talks about our appetites as divine, as a type of God. Their God is their, their I'll read it to you. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their minds on earthly things. Well, our citizenship's in heaven and we eagerly await a savor from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, like, check this out, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Uh, it, he's talking about our appetites, our belly. He's saying, you're bowing before your desires. You're prostrating yourself before your stomach. And it has become God to you. The question is not, will you submit? The question is, what are you submitting to? What are you being ruled by? And it's either your own desires, which bring shame, like it said, or what's the other option? Submitting to the transforming power of Jesus, which takes your body and transforms it. Think about it. What's the source of shame for so many of us? It's these bodily earthly desires. And he says, I'm going to take your source of shame and I'm going to turn it into glory if you'll submit it to me. If you will submit. We bow before our appetites. It heaps up shame on us. It's not, what will you, it's not if you'll submit. It's what will you submit to. Guys, the language of the New Testament is that the kingdom of God was at hand. That means the king is here. That means there's a new sheriff in town. It means he's in charge. And many Christians call themselves Christians all the time, warring against the kingdom because they've not submitted to the authority of Jesus. My invitation for you today is in the areas of your life where you are still calling the shots. And we all have them, guy with the mic included, all right? With the areas in your life that you're holding back from the Lord, bring them to him today. Submit them at the feet of the Father and see if he will not turn your area of shame into an area of glory. Stand with me and let's pray. Amen, sister. Amen.